You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is to not only share our sermons with you, but to go beyond the sermon with conversations about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and in our community. During the summer of 2022, we are in a series called The Songs of Summer, a study in the Psalms. You can find out more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining in to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. This morning, I'm here with Linda Schock, who's a part of our congregation here at First United Methodist. And uh, she serves as uh, part of the SPR committee. And, and we're glad to have Linda on with us today as Jeremy continues his paternity leave. Uh, we're crossing our fingers and planning that Jeremy will back, be back with us next week. But until then, we'll keep having our conversations. I invited Linda to be part of the conversation today uh, because she emailed me and she had some thoughts and questions and some things she was um, working through as she uh, listened to the sermon on Sunday. So Linda, I'd love for you to to share with us some of those things and um, you can think about that for a minute, but... um, I just want to let you know that as your pastor, I am not perfect. I don't get everything right all the time. And uh, it's okay to come back and say, hey, you said this, and it made me think of that, and I'm not quite sure how it all goes together. And what do you think about this? Or... You know, you, you said this in a sermon or in a message or something, and, you know, it raised this question for me. I want to I know what this means or how this works together or those kind of things. And, and listen, I'm not going to have the answer all the time. I might not have the right answer when you ask, but you're always always welcome to ask those questions, to raise those concerns, to, to share those thoughts, because we need one another. And just because I'm your pastor, it doesn't mean that I have reached a point where I'm done learning or I've learned all that I need to know. And just as much as you need me, I need you. And we want to grow together and we want to be the iron that sharpens iron for each other. And so bring those questions. When we ask for questions about the sermons, we really mean it. Um, We're not afraid of them. Uh, We're not going to, you know, think less of you or think poorly of you just because you have a question about the sermon. Sometimes I get done preaching. I'm like, I wonder about this. And, and it raises questions for me that I then go and, and study. Um, so all that to say, your questions are good. Your thoughts are good. I need you all. Don't think that just because I'm in the role of your pastor that you can't bring those questions or concerns so that we can learn together and grow deeper. So Linda, good morning. Good morning. This week we were talking about Psalm 22 and how it relates to the crucifixion, specifically uh, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tell us a little bit about some of the things that the sermon raised for you this week. 
Well, as I was thinking about um, Psalm 22, um, and I loved, I had recently learned that when Jesus was speaking on the cross, I think it was a year, maybe last year or the year before, that he was speaking Psalm 22. And so it just made the connection between the, it's almost like Psalm 22 became this beautiful bow between the Old Testament and the New Testament mm -hmm. because there's so much of the entire Bible put into these verses. Yeah. We see Genesis, we see Job, we see Leviticus, Deuteronomy, we see um, Isaiah. He, you know, we see Galatians, Romans, Second Corinthians, um, Hebrews, obviously the Gospels, mm -hmm. and I just love the fact that God does this in Scripture. That we shouldn't be a people of just the New Testament, but to really dive deep into the Old Testament yes. and see how the meta narrative of who God is mm -hmm. is just in all of the word in Absolutely. its entirety. And and Paul told Timothy, right? All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for instruction and teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. And when he was writing that, they were just talking about the Old Testament. So the New Testament shouldn't become our only scripture. The Old Testament is absolutely still a part of our Christian scriptures. Right. Absolutely. And to do that, um, I like to call it Bible Olympics, where you can bounce between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you just see so much continuity between the two. Mm -hmm. So I just really, I love that aspect, especially of Psalm 22, because there's just so much here about who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the analogy you gave on Sunday about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And how that, you just keep going down that psalm if yeah. you've memorized it. Mm -hmm. um, and how when Jesus spoke, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have to believe there was almost a piercing, not only to the truth of what was occurring in that moment, mm -hmm. to that scripture, because I believe that God did turn his face from Jesus at that moment but also to everyone who was in their, you know, all of his accusers, mm. to point them back. Mm -hmm. And even if they weren't in the moment knowing all of that, sure, they were going to have an opportunity, especially even their own, his own disciples, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have Matthew, Mark, and John referencing this psalm. Yeah. And I, and I just love it. And I just also think that was... Like to me, verse one has, there's so much there. Not only was he speaking truth about the moment, that moment, because while he wasn't sin and knew no, you know, he, mm -hmm. what was it? Verse Second uh, Corinthians 5, 21, I guess, talks about he who was not sin became sin. How does that yeah, go? He who he knew, knew no sin, sin became, became sin. We'll, we'll, I want to talk about that a little yeah. more. And, and so, um, but it's also a warning to those who do not come to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. Sure. To be in a world where there, where God is not present mm -hmm. is, I can't even imagine. Yeah. And, and I spoke about how, you know, Mark and then Matthew, you see a lot of this Psalm 22. And part of that's because, you know, it's 
believed by all those New Testament scholars that Mark was written first and then Matthew and Luke were kind of based off of Mark, but then they also brought in some other material that they had, you know, Matthew being one of Jesus's disciples himself, and then Luke going and doing different interviews with people and talking with people and adding his own spin as God led him to write his gospel. Um, I think sometimes we, we kind of think about the Gospels as like, you know, sideline reporters or, or eyewitness reporters for the newspaper where they're watching it happen and they're writing it down right as it happened. But that's not at all, you know, the way it happened. Um, Mark wasn't even necessarily there. Uh, they, they believe that most of his source was talking with the Apostle Peter mm-hmm. and, and learning from him and hearing from him and hearing the stories from him. Um, and then he wrote them down. But he probably didn't write them down until 15 or 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And the Gospel of John uh, probably wasn't written until closer to 90 AD, which is... 50 or 60 years after Jesus died. And so uh, they had, there was time for them to reflect on some of these things, for some of these connections to be drawn out. And it wasn't necessarily that, that Mark was sitting there and he said, oh, Jesus just said this. Let me write that down. Oh, that makes me think of, let me write the rest of this. But as they as they reflected later, they saw all the connections and they were able then to see how, you know, the casting lots and the, the piercing of the hands and feet, all those kind of things. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me how they were able to do that because of how steeped they were in those Old Testament scriptures and the Psalms in particular. And I think we do that ourselves as we read scripture. Yeah. Because I read the book, the Bible chronologically, mm-hmm every year mm-hmm. I mean it's living and active so it's not like you read it once and you're done with it every time you read it there's obviously something old that comes out but then there's some new mm-hmm. something new that the spirit tells you yeah. or some new fact and then that's when you start making all these connections yeah. and I think the more I read the more I've had an opportunity to get to know God and to become more like Jesus. And I just love the fact that the way God just tells, tells, speaks about himself. Mm -hmm. And we can see all these different connections. Like I said, there's so many books that are referenced, cross-referenced here in this one Psalm. And to me that, it just leaves me in awe. Now, you mentioned a, a, a phrase in there just a moment ago that I want to ask you about for those who might not be as familiar. You said you read the Bible chronologically. What does that mean? Is that different than just, you know, opening up in Genesis and starting to read? For the longest time, I actually thought the Bible was put together chronologically. So as you yeah. read the book, the whole Bible, you're like, okay, this came next, this came next. But that's not the case. Um, they put to get the book together in some ways, as you have the, you know, poetry, you have history, you have, sure. right? And there's so the law, there's, there's the history, there's the, 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 the prophets, prophets, right? The and 
the size of the book, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. It was like, how do we put this together? Ah, <laughs> eh, this book's bigger than that one. Let's put it first. But for a chronological Bible, they take all of the verses in the Bible and put them in historical order in which they occurred, to the best of their knowledge. Sure. And obviously, you can get pretty close. What I love about it is, like, a good example is Psalm 51, mm-hmm. which you taught on. Instead of being after Psalm 50, you find it right after the story of David when he sinned against with Bathsheba mm-hmm. and Nathan confronts him. Yeah. And so now you get to almost be an eyewitness to how what David experienced mm-hmm. and his confession and how God redeemed that. Yeah. And so I just, I love when I read it chronologically, my whole, it rocked my whole world and it changed everything of my whole perception. And so that's why I'm a huge advocate of getting people to read it chronologically because you get the prophets speaking into the history of, sure, right. the, of the kings, of kings and, chronicles. and chronicles. And yeah. so you understand how God was warning his people and what he was saying about the future and what was going to happen to them right in the midst of when the history is happening. So you get to know that Jeremiah and Ezekiel are contemporaries and that Jer- Jeremiah writes about the people being in ex- exile, 29, Chapter 29 specifically, we always think of 29-11 about, right, right, I have a plan for you. That was really meant for the exiles and that Ezekiel's reading that letter. And I I was like, oh my gosh, like that is just amazing to me that we get this whole conversation going on between two prophets right in the midst of this history. And... So you truly, really start to fall in love with the word. You fall in love with God and just have this like unstoppable desire to be reading. Yeah. Because what happens and how the Bible unfolds itself chronologic when you read it chronologically. Sure. So listeners, that's just, that's another way that you can uh, check that out and we can put a link in the show notes about where you could find a a chronological Bible like that if you're interested in picking one up and uh, starting to read that way uh, in this coming year or, or, or whenever. All right, so Linda, um, one of the verses that you shared with me um, in response to the sermon uh, came out of Ezekiel. I'd love for you to share that with us and with our listeners so we can continue to talk about it. Okay, so I happened to be, I was behind in my reading for a chronological Bible. Which is okay. You yep. can always catch up or, or just, just pick up again in the new place. Pick up on the day you're on. Yeah. I happen to have just, I just believe that God's timing is perfect and he needed me to read that scripture on that day and time. And so I was in Ezekiel 39 verses 23 and 24 and I happened to be looking at the Amplified. And the verses are, and the nation shall know understand and realize positively that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they trespassed against me and I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hand of their enemies and they all fell into captivity or were slain by the power of the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I dealt with them and I hid my face from them. So what did that stir in you when you read that, you heard the sermon, how did that all kind of... Well, that concept of hiding my face made me think about forsaken. 
mm-hmm. that God is, he can't look upon the sin anymore. He can't look, well, he's holy, can't look upon the sin. So he's turning away from it. Mm-hmm. Like God is turning his back. That's the way I kind of took it. Well, for me, sin is horrible and a holy God can't be in the midst of it. Yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense to me. And I had a couple thoughts about that in response to that. One, absolutely, a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. But also, I think there's we, we need to be a little careful because there's a difference between God looking at the people of Israel and turning away from them in their sin and Jesus on the cross who who is still God, right? He's 100% human, 100% God. He didn't lose any of that. He, he laid aside some of his um, rights and privileges, but, you know, I, I don't think it, it's quite fair to say he, he turned away from Israel, therefore we can say he turned away from himself on the cross. Um, I think we need to be a little careful that we don't draw too strong of a line between God the Father and God the Son um, in some of these things because it, it, I think that's our tendency is to see them almost as as three different gods, right? We, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, but they're still, they're so unified that we say, we believe that we as Christians have one God who exists in three persons in this relationship of of self-giving, holy love. Um, And that's what binds them so closely together that we say there's still one God. So while I see where you're coming from and I hear what you're saying, I just want to be a little careful that we don't make a a one-to-one comparison between the people of Israel that God did turn away from. And he forsook them to exile, right? For and he had a for 70 years, but there was right. always that promise. There was always that I'm bringing mm-hmm. you back again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I love about the scripture is that he constantly gave spoiler alerts. I'm mean, yeah. all of scripture. Spoiler, spoiler. I mean, it wasn't like he Right, and that's that verse from Jeremiah 29:11 that we love to quote and apply to ourselves so much, but it was really written to people who were in exile in Babylon and you know, God said you are in exile because of your sins but I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future and he goes on to share in that letter from Jeremiah to the captives that yes they will be in exile for a while but God's plan is to bring them back from exile because he's not abandoned them completely, right? He's, he's still covenanted with them to be their God. But there's some work that needed to happen in the meantime. I guess I, guess I, I land on, I can't put God in a box. I'm like, I don't know how he did it. Mm-hmm. But to me, I'm okay with the fact that he forsook God because he ha- of all the sin he had. God that Jesus had put upon was taken upon himself all of our sin yet in the midst of it all he hears and knows all the pain that Jesus is experiencing sure on the cross 
and that's where, like, I talk about Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Um, yeah, what's Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine okay, say? Me, okay, so this is the New Living Translation. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that He has revealed to us, so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. And what I love about that verse is that he's got mysteries. He has secrets. Absolutely. He's not necessarily going to share. He's definitely not going to share all of them. But the things that he does reveal, and if if I personalize that, the things he reveals to me as I read his word, I'm then accountable for. And that I need to teach my children. Mm -hmm. But what I also love about that verse is that I might not be at a place that I can take the information that the Spirit wants to reveal to me and live it out because I just don't understand it. There's, sure. stu- there's stuff that I just don't understand. And so, Absolutely. and I love that God is not going to put everything on you and expect you to be obedient to all of Scripture. The first time you read it through, right? Right. right. So he, he continues waits. to reveal himself. He continues to to show us his character and how he's called us to surrender to him so that by his spirit working in us, he can work that character and nature out in us. And he he doesn't want us to go astray or to mishandle mm-hmm. the knowledge. Sure. And I love that about God. So he reveals what I need to know, when I need to know it, and that obviously there's accountability on my side. When he tells me, I need to be living out that truth and sharing that with future generations. Sure. So there's a, there is a lot of weight to it, mm-hmm. but to me, it also, there's almost a relief that I don't have to know everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to be perfect. Yeah. And I and I can walk this journey with him, and he can, he's going to make it very exciting as he reveals himself along the way. And I almost think it's a lot more fun living out this Christian life with God, with him revealing himself little by little as we take the journey. Hmm. So in this like scripture where you know you had made um, some comments in the sermon, I was just like. You know, I'm not sure I'm there yet, yeah. but I'm okay because I can land on that Deuteronomy 29, 29. Well, that's a secret he hasn't revealed to me, but I, I'm okay if God, I don't know how he does this, would turn him back, his, his back on himself, like forsake himself. I'm like, yeah. I don't know how he get, does that, yeah. but somehow he did it mm-hmm. and he did it for me. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think... I think it's clear to say, like, Jesus did, in that moment, feel forsaken. He was, in some sense, forsaken by God. And I, I think I said it this way in the sermon, like, he was, for, I th- see it as he was forsaken to death at the hands of these sinful men. Like, that was absolutely true. It wasn't just like Jesus said, oh, you know, I, I want these these Jewish people and the Christians who are going to follow him, I want them to read the rest of, you know, all of what happens here at the crucifixion in light of Psalm 22. So I'm just going to throw out this verse, even though it doesn't really apply. I'm just kind of using it. No, I think he did feel that forsakenness and that abandonment to his death. But 
I can't go to the idea that God turned himself, turned his back away from himself completely or turned his face away from himself completely. Um, and, and I think a lot of it comes down to the idea, like you're saying, he, because Jesus took on our sin, and, he's and God, God can't be in the presence of sin. But I, but, but I want to be careful, because I don't think we can separate the natures of Jesus either. 100% human, 100% God. It's not like he, when all that sin came on him, the godness left Jesus Right. Well, and that's why I say, like, I don't get, I don't fully get that. Sure. But somehow he's able, he, God can do this where mm-hmm. he can get, sacrifice himself because of our sin. I lost my train of thought. Yeah. But, but a yeah. couple <laughs> things there that come into, came to my mind as I was thinking this through. One is the story of Jesus and the leper. Uh, where the leper comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees before him and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was filled with compassion. Do you know what he did? He reached out and he touched the man, which was like antithetical to everything Jewish because for Jewish people if you touch something that was unclean you were unclean you then had to go through all these checks and religious ceremonies to make yourself clean again and and during that time of your uncleanness you can't be part of the community and you can't be part of the worship of God and so this man comes to Jesus he knows he's unclean the, the lepers were, require, were required to go around making sure everyone knew, unclean, unclean, like stay away from us, don't get contaminated by us. But he sees something in Jesus that he comes and he kneels right in front of him. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man. And instead of that hand, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the man becomes clean, and he, he says, now go and show yourself to the priest and, and offer the sacrifice that's required for, for your cleansing. If, in some way, Jesus took on our sin, did it become clean even just in coming on him? Or the other thought I had was, and this is like fine line semantic kind of stuff that... You know, they make you think about in seminary and maybe we know, maybe we don't know. And maybe it's just one of those mysteries that God hasn't quite revealed to us yet. But I wonder, did he take on our sin or did he take on the consequence of our sin? And in taking on the consequence, purify us. Because Hebrews is very clear, right, that Jesus is the ultimate and final sufficient sacrifice that kind of put an end to all of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And you kind of have to understand that whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament to understand what that means for Jesus to be that, right? In the Old Testament, 99% of the sacrifices, 100% of the sacrifices that were killed took the place of the person. They didn't take the sin on themselves there's one sacrifice it's called the the scapegoat and and we use that phrase a lot of times as somebody who gets blamed but when 
on the Day of Atonement, the chief priest would put his hand on the head of that goat and he would confess all the sins of the whole nation onto that goat. And then they'd send it off into the wilderness. They never killed the scapegoat. It was always the, the sin offerings, the sheep that were killed in place of the person who deserved death for their sin. But they never, they would place their hand on it while it was killed, but they never confessed their sins over it. They didn't transfer somehow their sin to it. But that sacrifice stood in their place and became the propitiation for that person's sin and is what then allowed them to remain in right relationship with God. And so I wonder, you know, I, I was reading in... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 that you mentioned earlier, he became sin, who knew no sin, so that we could become God's righteousness. And there's a little footnote. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. See? Your pastor's not perfect. Um, and that's why we need each other. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 5, 21, there's a little footnote in there. And there's an alternate reading. That word sin could just as easily mean sin offering. He became the sin offering for us, even though he knew no sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. And that's that's even that's the that's the way the NLT translates it. You know, he became a sin offering for us, even though he knew no sin himself. He stood in our place. He took the consequences of our sin so that we could be forgiven and brought into right relationship with God. And I like, and I like that. Like that I can wrap my head around. Yeah. Um, and also then coming back to this first verse, while God might not have forsaken himself, Jesus as human can still feel forsaken Yes. In that moment. And it point and what's gonna to happen to those who don't know him. Absolutely. We have God in our midst. And to I, I think of Saul, right, when the spirit was removed from him, mm. he went insane. I often mm. think, like, is that even maybe what happened to Saul to realize what it's like to be with God and then not? Sure. And to know the difference and therefore realize for those that don't even know him or accept him and die Mm -hmm. all of eternity is spent yeah without and like that's a very powerful verse in that respect and for us as Christians a call that there are lost people Mm -hmm. and we need to take that verse very very seriously to share who Jesus is and and what he did in taking our sin and the punishment for our sin on himself so that we could enter into a right relationship with him. Because on our own, as sinful people, we could never do it. We could never offer enough bulls and goats and sheep and doves and whatever else you know the Old Testament asks for. We can't offer enough of those to make ourselves right with God. And so God recognized that. And so he, in his complete godness, put on our humanness. And just like 
Philippians 2 talks about. He emptied himself, and you see this descending trajectory of he put on our flesh, he was born, he humbled himself, became like a servant, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. And we see then the opposite ascending trajectory. And by coming in his godness, putting on our humanity, entering into the lowest experiences that we can have, which would be death apart from God. He then redeems us and brings humanity back up into his ascension. And, and it's a crazy thought, but Jesus was bodily ascended into heaven. Whatever that meant, whatever that physically looks like i don't i can't understand it but but there's a human being still sitting in the midst of the godhead even now in heaven deuteronomy 29 29 it's a mystery but there's still humanity because that's what god chose to do to redeem us and to bring us back into relationship that we could never do on our own amen so thanks for joining us. That, that was a, a little bit of a, a heady conversation. It was a little theological at times, but I hope you stuck with us and stuck it out. And listen, if you've got questions about this kind of stuff, if, if you say, hey, you're, you're talking about entering into this relationship with Jesus and, and you don't quite know what that means reach out to the church. Go to fumccollingswood.org. Find our contact info. Let us know. We'll, we'll be happy to talk to you. Or if you've already accepted Jesus, you've already decided to follow Jesus, but you've got questions more about what this means or how it looks like in your life or how you can continue to grow or, or you need some direction in how you study scripture so that you can, you can get to this kind of knowledge where you see the pieces coming together and it's not just working words on a page, but it's, it's life-giving food for you on a daily basis, let us know. We'd, again, we'd love to have that conversation with you. Um, me, Jeremy, Linda, there's others in the congregation who'd be happy to sit down and have this conversation with you because we all need it. And we all need to come alongside one another, strengthen each other because we grow together as the body of Christ. Thanks for listening.